Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Sentner Geology Podcast, Episode 23, Cascade Volcanoes. Thanks for listening. The Cascades, right here in the Pacific Northwest. You've heard of them? We've got beautiful, majestic, I don't know, I'm running out of adjectives already, but they are absolutely inspiring mountains. If you've seen photos of Mount Rainier or Mount St. Helens or Mount Adams or Mount Hood or Mount Shasta or Mount Garibaldi, etc., you've seen these absolutely glorious cones that are standing there on the horizon. In the case of our little town of Ellensburg, Washington, a cone stands on the western horizon. That's Mount Rainier. It looms over everything. You can see that same Cascade Volcano from downtown Seattle, from downtown Tacoma, Washington. Mount Baker up above Bellingham, Mount Hood up above Portland. It's not one of these geology things that's kind of uh, tucked away and remote, and people are like, huh, what are you talking about? No, these Cascade Volcanoes are on display for millions and millions of people. So in that case, this is a rare opportunity to take a well-known landmark and then do some geology with it. And that's our plan for today's episode, talking about the Cascades as a whole, talking about the history of the Cascade Range. How long have we had Cascade volcanoes? Have they always been there? Has Mount Rainier always been there? And then, of course, the more uh, hand-wringing type things. Oh, my Lord, is, uh, how, how nervous do I need to be? And, and people that, okay, I'm not going to go off crazy on this, but um, interesting choice of words. Uh, there are folks who just, they want things to be nervous about. I, may, I might be repeating myself. I may have done the same thing with the earthquake stuff. But, boy, I, I've underestimated that part of it, that people are not wanting to learn, not wanting to embrace science. They're, they're just in it for fear. And I don't understand that, and I don't pretend to understand it. And, and as I look at the programs I have online, for instance, the downtown lecture series, which I've been putting a lot of, uh, been putting a lot of those lectures out for a year, um, the, the volcano and earthquake stuff is off the charts as far as view numbers. And in, in a couple of cases, they weren't even very good lectures. Uh, but uh, boy, um, that those things get spread around. And uh, so with the Cascade Volcanoes, of course we're talking about volcanic hazards. Of course we're talking about the potential and the likelihood of eruptions coming down the road. But it's 2019. As I've mentioned before, I'm sure we are still in the dark ages. The dark ages of understanding volcanoes and earthquakes. The dark ages with respect to forecasting. And I do think that uh, at some point in the future, we will be able to figure this out. And we will be able to uh, much more clearly anticipate the next major event. And I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, uh, we're still doing a lot of guessing. And uh, it may seem strange to hear a geologist say that, but uh, many of you are aware that the more you study, the more that you read, the more facts that you accumulate, the more people that you talk to about a particular topic, including the quote-unquote experts, the less we really know. 
And so I'm always struck by folks uh, off the street or if they have a video program or something else. I'm struck by the folks who have this very clear, simple explanation for things, in nature in particular. Uh, and, and the more that you look into science, the more you realize that uh, that's just silly to present everything as, as figured out. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much yet to discover, and that's the exciting thing. That's also the uh, disturbing thing for some. <clears throat> but for us here in geology, there's progress being made. There's more and more geologists on the job every day, young, uh, energetic people, ready to tackle subjects, and uh, let's put our, our faith in them. Interesting choice of words there, too, faith. Okay, great. So, uh, without further ado, let's get right into this. Uh, <clears throat> I assume you know the Cascade Volcanoes. I've already rattled off a bunch off the top of my head. We could include Crater Lake National Park. We could include Lassen Park down in Northern California. <coughs> Excuse me. Glacier Peak in Washington State, which is r remote, north of Stevens Pass. So there's, you know, depending on how you count these things, about 17 of these uh, active composite cones that make up the Cascades. They, they stretch from British Columbia down through Washington, Oregon, and they end at about the latitude of Cape Mendocino in Northern California. As we discussed with a couple episodes ago with the Farallon Plate, we used to have more of those composite cones along the West Coast, but they have been uh, disappearing as we have uh, caused the Farallon Plate to disappear. Uh, today we call that leftover piece of the Farallon Plate the Juan de Fuca Plate, do you remember? And so where the Juan de Fuca Plate is subducting, we have a good old-fashioned volcanic arc, a line of active volcanoes. Five of those cones are poised to erupt in the state of Washington. And again, 17 is probably the best number to use for the Cascades as a whole. Let's get to some interesting topics uh, or interesting questions. Uh, question number one, how long have the Cascades been there? Well, the simple answer is 40, 40 million years. The Cascade volcanoes have been there for 40 million years. The Cascade Range has been producing volcanic eruptions for 40 million years. And you might be confused by that answer, and I don't blame you, uh, because Remember the 100-yard uh, dash and the North American plate uh, leaving Pangaea and the Farallon plate beginning to subtract 200 million years ago. So a fair question is, why don't we have 200 million years of cascade volcanism? Oh, hell, let's do it. Uh, advanced thinking right off the bat. Wasn't planning on this, but let's do it. You're up for it, aren't you? There has been... 200 million years of subduction of an ocean plate in the Pacific Northwest as North America has been drifting away from Pangaea. But here's the advanced thought. The location of the volcanoes has been shifting over the last 200 million years. Now, it's going to take us a few episodes to fully embrace this discussion. So I'm just giving you a little sampler, I think. There's been 200 million years of ocean plate subduction in the Pacific Northwest, but only 40 million years of ocean plate subduction at its current location to create what we call the Cascades. 
that may or may not feel right to you, but we're just going to leave it. Just think of that as a little taste of what's to come in the next three, four uh, episodes. Okay? So we're given this number 40. That is the number for the history of the Cascades. And before 40 million years ago, uh, in, immediately preceding uh, 40 million years ago, think pretty much um, from 50 million years ago till 40 million years ago, Washington was a very flat place. We're pretty sure of this. Different climate, different plants, uh, no major mountains, uh, different coastline, lots to discuss. And again, we're talking about the next few episodes. But given the fact that we've got this flat Washington with no cascades, and then starting 40 million years ago, we, we, we suddenly start sending these magma bodies up from below, up from the subducting plate, the Juan de Fuca plate, and we start generating volcanoes, that began, and we started building Cascade Volcanoes 40 million years ago. Okay, well, does that mean Mount Rainier is 40 million years old? Does that mean Mount St. Helens is 40 million years old? It does not. Well, wait a minute. I thought you just said the Cascades were 40 million years. I did. And now you're saying Mount Rainier is not 40 million years old? That's right. Uh, what's up? Well, individual cones... Individual composite cone volcanoes, or stratovolcanoes in the Cascades, have a two million year lifespan. A two million year lifespan. A cone emerges, builds, is active, erupts every few centuries for two million years, and then that magma supply goes away. And the cone gets completely dismantled. The mountain is gone. I have a pet name for that dead volcano. That, that place where a cone used to stand for two million years doing its thing and then not only gets killed, but gets removed, erased. Uh, my name is Ghost Volcano. You remember Ghost, Vo Ghost Forest, don't you? Brian Atwater and all that. I, I kind of borrowed that name because it's, it's sexy. People like it, Ghost Forest. And I've applied it now <coughs> to these places where we used to have a cone standing and the cone's gone. Ghost volcanoes. I did a couple lectures on this recently. Um, <coughs> you can find it on YouTube if you like. So that's a concept we want to just dwell on for a couple more minutes. 40 million years of Cascade volcanism, but individual points within the Cascade range pop up a cone for 2 million years, have it erupt thousands of times, and then it goes away, ghost volcano. Next door, magma coming up. Build a cone. Have the cone erupt for 2 million years. Then have it go away. The mountain goes away, ghost volcano. Ghost volcano, therefore, is kind of this place where we can uh, make a, a side profile, a cross-section of a Mount Rainier cone at a particular spot, but we're going to use a dashed line, a dashed line like a, the outline of a dead body or something, where that cone used to stand, dashed line. And it's dashed because that mountain isn't there anymore. Well, how do we know that a cone used to be there? Well, you can probably figure that out, can't you? <laughs> can you think of our, our uh, uh, different kinds of igneous rocks and different kinds of magmas and different styles of volcanoes? That was a few lectures back, a few podcasts back. How would you figure that out? How would you figure out where a cone used to stand and it no longer is? For instance, right at Snoqualmie Pass. 
which is the major mountain pass in Washington. Incredible amounts of traffic going back and forth between Ellensburg and Seattle on Interstate 90. There's a ghost volcano right at Snoqualmie Pass. In other words, a cone, a Mount Rainier-like cone, used to stand right at the past. It's not there anymore. You can't see any active cones from Snoqualmie Pass today. But there's geologic evidence of a cone standing there. We know exactly when the cone stood. We have a decent idea how big the mountain was. We assume it was about the size of Rainier or some of these other cones that we have today in the Cascades. Okay, I've been stalling for you. Do you have an answer? What evidence can you find in the Cascades today to prove that you're at one of these ghost volcano locations? Well, you're going to look for rocks, aren't you? You're going to look for rocks that, are, uh, that were created during the time that that ghost volcano was standing and active. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Well, what, what, what kind of uh, products, what kind of material comes out of an active composite cone? You know the answer to this. A volcanic mud flow, a lahar following river valleys, pyroclastic flows, ash flow tufts flowing away from the cone. That's true. There are places you can find, and I'm using my hands and kind of drawing on a tabletop here for you. Not very helpful because this is an audio podcast. But the idea is you've got these fingers of lava and lahars uh, flowing away from the cone. And even though the cone gets dismantled completely, the things that float away from the volcano are still there. There's 10 million-year-old lahars in our valley, in the Kittitas Valley, that came from a cone that used to stand near Bumping Lake. There are other kinds of flows of material that have different ages that you can reconstruct where a cone used to stand. So in other words, the stuff that flowed out of the mountain is actually has outlived the volcano itself. That's kind of an interesting thought. And the other main way that we locate where these ghost volcanoes are or where the cones used to stand, same thing, and this is maybe your answer, wouldn't you be able to find magma chamber rock? Wouldn't you be able to find plutonic igneous rock? In other words, if you're going to kill the volcano and erase it completely using erosion, river erosion, glacial erosion, uplift, if you completely erase Mount Rainier and the whole system is rock hard and solid, wouldn't you expect to find some of the magma chamber rock? And the answer is yes. And that's what's at Snoqualmie Pass. There's something called the Snoqualmie Batholith. It's about 24 million years old to about 17 million years old. It's a big blob of granite or granodiorite or even diorite, different chemistries. But the point is you've got these granites in the mountains. Those granites are telling you a story. And quite often granites in your favorite alpine area are telling you that a cone used to be there. The cone's gone and the underground magma chamber rock has been lifted up. Okay, I've beaten that too, too far probably. But we got it now. 40 million years of cascades, 2 million years of cones at a time. An analogy I use with students, which I guess kind of works, but I'm not sure they totally get it because it's uh, folksy and old-fashioned. Go to the county fair, 
go to the games area where they got the, you know, um, basketball hoops that are too narrow and you can never you know, shoot a basket properly. You got the little wooden rings you're trying to get them onto the Coke bottles. That doesn't work. It's just a comedy of errors. And you're trying to impress this person you're dating in seventh grade and it's just not working. It's just not, not working. Your skin isn't clearing up and you can't get them. All right. Got a little raw there. Whack-a-mole. Do you know the game? Whack-a-mole. Google it. You play whack-a-mole, you got a big mallet, you're whacking moles that pop up. And, oh, my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just wail on this mole, and I'm going to beat it down into submission. But at the same time that I hit the, the mole, there's two other moles that pop up nearby. Whack on those moles. Other moles pop up. You never get them all down. That's pretty much the Cascades over the last 40 million years. It's a giant game of whack-a-mole. Isn't that clever? Isn't this interesting? Got a bit of edge to me this morning. Under, not understand. <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right, moving on, moving on. Pick up the pace. What are we talking about? The Cascades, right, okay. So that's the historical scene for the Cascades, but now let's look at a couple of case studies. There's really just three specific events that I use in the history of Cascade eruptions. So we've got 40 million years of eruptions. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of eruptions of cones. Most of them are no longer with us, as we just discussed. Uh, but I pick three, three events. And of course, I use 1980 Mount St. Helens. I was just about to graduate from high school, May 18th, 1980. I remember it, even though I had no interest in geology at the time, and even though I was in the Midwest at the time. I also use Mount Rainier 5,600 years ago. I don't remember that one. And I use Mount Mazama 7,700 years ago. So those are the three we're going to use. Okay, well, let's start with Mount St. Helens. Um, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of Mount St. Helens erupting. It was a Sunday morning, May 18, 1980, 8.32 in the morning, not a cloud in the sky, bluebird day. And in newspapers and on televisions, there have been talk of this Mount St. Helens kind of waking up. But uh, in the, and again, I was not living in the state at the time. So I've, I've kind of chatted with old timers over the years about kind of the events leading up to that. And the basic message is most people just shrugged it off. You know, the phrase fake news wasn't around yet. But uh, it was so unbelievable that some a few geologists were getting uh, in front of a TV camera and talking about this icy mountain, this iconic cone mountain, this Fujiyama of the Pacific Northwest called Mount St. Helens, which had snow and ice on it, for goodness sake, and crystal blue lakes below Spirit Lake and all these family cabins and all these wonderful forests. That thing's really going to do something? This is people, you know, in the spring of 1980 uh, watching these TV reports or reading about it in the paper. I can't believe that. 
I don't remember that happening. This is somebody reading the paper. I don't remember my, my parents or my grandparents talking about one of these things happening in the Cascades. It was so um, difficult to visualize, and there weren't enough well-known uh, eruptions of cone volcanoes in the previous 50 years, let's say, around the world. It just didn't register with most people. And so my point is, here we are in central Washington in the Kittitas Valley where I'm speaking in Ellensburg, Washington right now. It's a bluebird Sunday morning. Everybody's out doing their thing. They're hiking. They're, in their, they're raking hay. They're going to church, whatever. And uh, suddenly they see this, this gray cloud starting to roll in from the southwest. And it's amazing to me, but... It's true, most did not think volcano right away. They just assumed it was some sort of weird thunderstorm coming in from the southeast. And for some, it, it, it didn't take until ash started falling out of the sky and falling on their arm that they finally realized that something actually had happened with Mount St. Helens. That's how much kind of denial or disbelief or just kind of detachment from that growing story. Mount St. Helens is almost at Portland. It's, you know, it's a three-hour drive away from where we are, and yet ash is falling out of the sky from that mountain. That was really an eye-opener. And so many people remember that morning very vividly. Of course they do. And the fallout and the, the, uh, the reaction and, and all the ash to deal with that fell out of the sky, etc. So, um, uh, early in my teaching career, I would take a moment and, and everybody would tell their stories of where they were on that morning. And of course, I can't do that anymore. I'm working with kids who were not born. They were born a decade after Mount St. Helens. So it's just another, you know, prehistoric event. Prehistoric meaning before them. So it's just something else to learn. Uh, it's interesting in itself. So that's our most current uh, event in the Cascades, 1980. And to finish the thought on Mount St. Helens, Mount St. Helens lost 1,300 feet of elevation. Mount St. Helens had this amazing landslide on the north face that converted into a volcanic mud flow, a lahar that flowed down the Tootle River Valley all the way down to I-5, wiped out a bunch of logging camps. And uh, from 80 to 86, 1980 to 1986, there was uh, vibrant activity inside of the crater of Mount St. Helens. A lava dome was built, this andesite getting pushed, or even dacite being pushed into the crater floor. And so there was some kind of crude monitoring of that uh, in the early 1980s. Um, and the mountain was trying to re rebuild itself. And then in 1986, the system just quit. And um, from 1986, when I was just entering graduate school until 2004, there wasn't a hint of action at St. Helens. And so, you know, by this time, I'm, I'm living and teaching in Washington, and uh, it's kind of like talking about St. Helens in past tense. And then there was excitement, 2004 to 2008, where there was renewed activity in the crater of St. Helens, and that lava dome continued to grow. And we, of course, we had a whole new generation of techniques and LIDAR and, and uh, GPS and other kinds of um, instruments to monitor what was going on. We could go on and on about St. Helens and David Johnston and all sorts of real drama and tragedy. 
And as I'm give, doing this podcast right now, I'm thinking I should probably do a new downtown lecture on St. Helens to celebrate the 40th anniversary. And we still have some of the folks who are in their 70s now and even 80s, uh, guys who, who started uh, their career uh, working on Mount St. Helens and, uh, and all that once-in-a-lifetime drama. Okay, so that's St. Helens and Rainier. What, why do I use Rainier 5,600 years ago? Well, that, in the last 10,000 years, 5,600 years ago, is the event with Mount Rainier. There was a similar uh, landslide which converted into a mud flow. A whole portion, about a quarter of the mountain, that's a rough estimate, a quarter of the mountain on the northeast flank of Mount Rainier uh, failed 5,600 years ago and flowed down the White River. It's called the Osceola Mud Flow or the Osceola Mud Flow. And it flowed all the way to Tacoma. We've done some programs on this. Uh, much of the Enumclaw Plain and Tacoma and Buckley and, and Ording and Electron and places like that are built. Those are towns. Millions of people now built uh, homes on top of this Osceola mud flow. Those towns are built on Mount Rainier <laughs> in a weird way, if you think of it that way. That stuff that used to be part of the mountain that failed, flowed, and buried that valley uh, in hundreds of feet in places of, of volcanic lahar material. And the real drama is the mountain has rebuilt itself in the last 5,600 years. You can still see a portion of the scar of that Osceola event. But since that time, we've had all these incredible amounts of people um, show up. And they are in harm's way. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we could do a better job of communicating that. At this point, people are tuning out the uh, emergency people for the most part. That's just human nature. And uh, so there could be some real serious um, stories coming from the floor of, of or the valleys below Mount Rainier uh, sometime in the future. That's the, that's the problem, right? You do all this wonderful science, you do all this clear science communication, and then they go, okay, you've got my attention. So what are we talking, next year, five years from now? And they go, well, it's, it's not a question of, if it's a question of when. They're like, okay, okay, yeah, okay. What does that mean? Can't you give me some, what are my chances here? Are, are we talking about something that'll happen a thousand years from now? We can't answer those questions. We cannot answer those questions. When is this going to happen? What are the odds of this happening? And the, there's attempts, but there's so many variables and so many questions that it's very difficult to say something meaningful. And therefore, it's just put into this category of not going to worry about it. They don't know enough. And I, I, I don't blame them. I guess I'd feel the same way if I lived there, to be totally honest. Um, finally, Mount Mazama. Do you know Crater Lake National Park? It's one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to. Uh, on a family trip in 1979, you know, the station wagon and everything, the parents and my sisters, and we drive all the way out from Wisconsin, and I have vivid memories of being in Glacier, excuse me, uh, Crater Lake National Park in southern Oregon. The, the color of that blue, the setting, it's truly amazing. Well, I'm guessing most of you know that, that Crater Lake sits in the stump 
of a former cone, uh, presumably the size and shape of Mount Rainier. Uh, we call it Mount Mazama. It doesn't exist anymore. Just the stump of the mountain is still there. And Crater Lake, the actual lake, has built, uh, has formed in the hollowed-out stump, if you want to think of it that way, of Mount Mazama. Well, that was 7,700 years ago, 7,700 years ago. And we know that because there's ash from that Mount Mazama explosion uh, in thick accumulations. I mean, it's more than a foot thick of ash fall at Spokane, Washington. That's a couple states away. So this was a monster explosion in the Cascades, and it is truly sobering to look at how much mountain was um, blown up into bits, essentially, and sent into the air. There's Mazama ash on, in the seafloor canyons off the coast of the Pacific Northwest, as well as significant Mazama ash at most places in eastern Washington, eastern Oregon, even into Montana and Nevada <coughs> and southern Idaho. So... Um, the Mazama is a major time marker for us. It's a major key bed that helps us keep track of time. And the good news is Mazama has not rebuilt itself for whatever reason. And so we're not as concerned there. But the sobering thing, I, I won't say that again. I've used that word twice. The, 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 the alarming thing is that it appears that was just a run-of-the-mill Cascade volcano. You ready? There was 43 times the volume of material that came out of Mazama that came out of St. Helens. So 57 people got killed in St. Helens in 1980. It was a major event. People are still talking about it. There's ash all over the place from St. Helens, and 57 people died, including David Johnston, the geologist who was stationed north of the mountain. Take that stuff that came out of St. Helens in 1980, that equals one cubic kilometer of volcanic product. Mostly ash, but you can think of the volcanic mud flows and even some of the lava and stuff as well. Just lump it all together, that's one cubic kilometer. Mazama created 43 times, 43 cubic kilometers of ash, lahar, etc. Wow. Why was it so more explosive in southern Oregon than what's happened with St. Helens? Has St. Helens or Rainier done anything like Mazama did 7,700 years ago? We don't know. All we do know is that it was a cascade eruption, and based on what we know currently, if Adams <laughs> or Jefferson or one of the three sisters or somebody else goes like Mazama went in 7,700 years ago, uh, that is a serious situation. And that's all we can say. Maybe we will learn that there are some tectonic uh, parameters in southern Oregon that explain why that's only a southern Oregon cascade story and not possible in Washington. Seems unlikely to me. Seems like we have a variable amount of energy devastation, etc., from these cascade volcano eruptions. So even I'm doing it, aren't I? I'm talking about some very serious things, and yet I don't have the ability, no one does, to follow through on forecasting. And if I'm starting to bother you, I don't mean to do that, and we can finish on a somewhat cheery note, and that is that 
at least with these Cascade volcano eruptions and cone volcano eruptions that we know about over the last couple of hundred years worldwide, there are almost always weeks and weeks of small events before a big event with a cone volcano. And we think of that with the Cascades as well. It seems likely, not for sure, but likely that if Mount Adams above Yakima uh, is about to blow up catastrophically like Mazama did, we assume that there will be weeks and maybe months of small kind of um, building-type events, uh, ash coming out of the mountain, the glacier starting to melt, uh, heat uh, changing, uh, thermal measurements, uh, gases changing coming out of the mountain, uh, earthquake signatures of magma moving, all of that uh, we assume will be a slow buildup uh, to a main event. And if you have concerns and safety and um, want to heed advice, there's time to, to act and get out and get to a safe place. Uh, that's comforting to me and others. Uh, earthquakes, as we know, is a different story. We still have not been able to figure out any kind of warning signs. So that's a different animal. So that was an attempt to finish on a somewhat uh, pleasant note that we will have cascade eruptions in the future, but time is on our side to try to figure out not only some of the mysteries involving these cones uh, and also um, learning more about how to evacuate people safely before the main event. Well, how about that? We talked about cascade volcanoes. We talked about individual events that we know about. There are so many more past cascade volcano stories yet to learn. But between the ghost volcanoes and the active cones and the eventual demise of the whole Cascade Range in 5 to 10 million years, which we talked about at the Farallon Plate discussion, there's plenty to continue to study with Cascade Volcanoes here in the Pacific Northwest. Hey, listener, you made it to the end of this one. I sure do appreciate it. Next time, we're going to the Olympic Peninsula in Washington and realizing there's nothing to talk about there relating volcanoes but there's everything to talk about with something else. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening to this one. Goodbye.